Um, I'm really pleased with doing Psalms. I love Psalms. And um, so it's a real pleasure to be sharing some thoughts. And, you know, I think particularly one of the things I love about the Psalms is it kind of opens up human beings and shows us really what they're like. And it shows the kind of joys and the tribulations of, of being a person. And you get some real sense of reality as you read the Psalms. Um, I kind of was a bit shocked this morning when I looked at the bulletin and, and it said that I'm going to be teaching on Psalm 133 and 134 because I'm not. Um, and I did check the uh, preacher's spreadsheet to make sure I got it right. And I'm actually going to teach on uh, Psalm 120 and 121. And then the next time I'm going to teach on 123. 133, 134. Now, at this point, I'm just expecting everybody just to stand up and go, well, that's ridiculous. I'm going. I came for 133, 134. I'm not, I'm not having 120 and 121. Um, but hopefully you'll get beyond that uh, and you'll cope with your disappointment and um, we'll, we'll go for two other uh, psalms instead. So let's just, they're, you know, they're relatively uh, short psalms, so let's read them together. Um, and I'm going to read from the NIV. So first of all, Psalm 120, a song of ascents. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you and what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom brush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived amongst those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And then Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up mine eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber indeed. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. So obviously, we don't have a, a great deal of time. So all I kind of want to do is just to share some thoughts with you about these two Psalms. And then maybe you'll, you'll go away and read them for yourself and think about it. Um, I love this little section of, of the um, Psalter, really, as it's called, because there are... 15 psalms that are called Songs of Ascent. They start from Psalm 120 and go right through to Psalm 134. So within the psalms, you get this little section of 15 psalms. From 120 to 134, the Songs of the Ascents. Um, now there are kind of all kinds of theories about why they would be titled songs of ascent um, and as was you know there are some very silly ideas um but what i kind of like i came across one commentator who said um error on this point is not too dangerous <laughs> i quite like that 
uh, error on this point? Because I actually thought that's actually, it's quite helpful. Uh, but I, I'd like to ask him, what is error? When is it dangerous then? You know, because that's the challenge that we all have as Christians, isn't it? You know, those, those things about when people say stuff. Does it, is it really serious? Does it really matter? Because um, I'm quite fundamental in my, my thinking. And I get quite worried when I hear Christians saying, um, it doesn't really mean that. Um, because for me, I kind of think, well, if it doesn't mean that, what does it mean? And how do you know when it doesn't mean that? Um, and how do you know when it does mean that? Um, and nobody ever tells you that. Um, so you hear kind of people saying things, and I just think, oh, you know. Um, so I am, I, you know, unashamedly, I believe that God created the world in, in seven days. Or oh, six days and then had a rest. You know, I believe that unashamedly. I'm, I don't, I, you know, and when people say, well, it doesn't really matter. No, it re- I think it really does matter. Because if you don't believe that, then what is your mechanism for tearing pages out of the Bible and saying it doesn't mean that? Um, so I'm kind of, I really believe that. I'm, and the thing for me is that I'm just shocked it took God six days. I can't understand what the delay was. You know, when you know God, he can't have to do amazing things. And he chose to slow down and, and take six days. Um, but anyway, when it comes to this, it's a little error, it doesn't really matter. But the Songs of Ascent were really songs that pilgrims sang. So three times a year, um, the Jewish people could make pilgrims to Jerusalem. Um, and if they did, as they got nearer towards Jerusalem and they began to, it was almost kind of like a trickle of people. You know, you get some people coming from quite far distances. And then as they got closer, they maybe pair up with somebody else and then the pairs would get bigger. And eventually, as you got towards Jerusalem, you would be part of a really big crowd. And as people got together, the pilgrims sang these 15 psalms. Now, I don't know at what point out in the distance you started singing it, um, but at some point they started singing. And I guess the only thing that we probably have that's vaguely familiar is um, at a football match, you know, where, you know, Bradford City support have been down to Wembley a number of times, and you go there and you're out in this, you know, country, you know, out in the sort of villages and towns and stuff. And then you can just hear a little sort of Bradford City song over here and someone up the distance. And then as you get a bit nearer, there's a few people teaming together and they're singing. And then you get closer to the ground and it just gets bigger. And then eventually you get in and there's that cacophony of, of, of sound. And, and I think that's what the Songs of Ascent were. There were 15 psalms that people started singing on their pilgrimage. And I think that this is what Jesus would have done regularly. We know that Jesus regularly went to the Passover. We know that on an average Passover, the population of 50,000 in uh, Jerusalem would swell to between 200 and 250,000 people in that particular festival. And so Jesus would have been familiar. He would have got to some point outside of Jerusalem and somebody would have struck up Psalm 120 and then they would have started singing and then they'd get a bit closer probably at least within the eye shot of Mount Zion and then they would sing Psalm 121 and so on until eventually they got right into the uh, temple itself um, so those are what songs of the ascent are they're, they're 15 songs that pilgrims um, sang and they are kind of beautiful 
But the first one is quite um, an interesting one because it does tell us, again, about how we are, as believers, we are pilgrims. That's one of the definitions of what it is to be um, a Christian. It's to be a pilgrim. And that's quite a hard thing to do because by nature... As Christians, we settle very, very quickly. Now, pilgrims are people that don't have a home, that don't live anywhere, and that are constantly um, moving towards Jerusalem. And that's really where we've got to keep constantly challenging ourselves to make sure that the roots that we lay down aren't permanent and out there forever. Because Jesus never intended us to be comfortable in the world he always intended us to be thinking um, about heaven and thinking about where we're going. So Psalm 120 begins quite melancholic in a way because it says, I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you and what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom brush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived amongst those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when they speak, they are for war. Now, it begins in distress. Um, and he's really uncomfortable because the, the situation in which he lives, where he starts his... Um, pilgrimage from is a place of deceit it's a place of slander it's a place of unpleasantness and in fact it's so bad that he says when he talks about Meshach and Kedar Meshach was in the north Kedar was in the south and both of them were, were known for really extreme barbaric behavior you know if you lived in those two places you lived in places of real barbarism and what David is saying is, we may as well be in them places. Because where I live right now is as bad as those. With people saying and doing um, horrible things. But of course, one of the good things about that kind of environment is it kind of draws him to God. Because in my distress, I cry out to God. And it's interesting because when we pick up in Psalm 121... It, you know, not all bad things that happen to us are bad in themselves. And for all this circumstance that he finds himself in, um, he's really, really uncomfortable and he cries out to the Lord. And I think that really the starting point of our pilgrimage as believers is when we become dissatisfied with the world. When we have a look around us and we look at the, the pain and the suffering and the injustice and the unkindness and the viciousness of it all, and you get to a place where you think, I've had enough of that. I don't want to live in that particular environment. You hope that that's what drives people to Christ. That when people have a look at, at the world around them and think to themselves, what is it really like? They become desperate for something different and of course they start looking around and one of the things that they'll look at is they'll look at us as Christians and I often think tragic you know tragically the thing about Christians often is that we 
are a mirror of the world. So when people look at us, they don't actually see anything significantly different. They just see what they've already got. And I think, why don't people want to come to church? Well, they don't want to come to church because, well, what's the difference? The challenge for us as Christians is to live a life full of Christ that's different and to be dissatisfied and uncomfortable with the world. That's what Christ has called us to. He never, ever wanted us to feel as though we belonged in this world. There, are, there should always be that edginess about what we're doing, about when we go to work and when we do the things that we do. There's always got to be that sense of, this isn't quite what I've been called to. Uh, there's a lovely passage in, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, um, where it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God. That's a really lovely kind of metaphor, isn't it? Of opening your windows towards Jerusalem. You know, opening your windows towards heaven. You know, waking up each morning and opening your windows and thinking, I will live in the world and I will touch bases with people. But my eyes are really towards heaven now we know that this side of of the grave jesus has called us to live within the world and he specifically said i'm not going to take you out of it but i am going to pray that when you're in it you're going to be different and that's what what this psalm is really about is the fact that there are people around me who are slanderous and they're doing horrible things um but um i'm going to be different um and it really is um, an encouragement to, to fellowship because you are mostly acutely vulnerable as a Christian when you're out of fellowship. You know, you are most likely to experience discouragement. So these pilgrims make the journey on their own, but when they get that journey together, it encourages them. So really, you know, what Kay was saying about home groups, those small groups, and then those small groups come together on a Sunday, and we all look at each other in that church and think, phew, there's a few of us. You know, there's a few of us that have made that decision. There's a few of us that are committed to walking with Christ. There's a few of us that are prepared to, to spur each other on and to encourage each other to, um, to be different. But what David does... In this particular psalm, he begins with honesty. You know, this is how it is. You know, we do live in this world, but the fact that we live in it doesn't mean to say we have to be like it. In fact, Christ has called us to, to be the opposite, to be different. And I purpose, I genuinely believe that when people see Christians going through exactly the same experiences as them, but going through it with Christ going through it with peace, going through it with joy, there is something quite exciting and endearing about that. You know, because we have the same pains, we have the same aches. You know, in my school, I know there are Christian young people, there are non-Christian young people, they're still going to sit the same GCSE exam, you know, when all said and done. But how you sit it and how you prepare for it and the peace and the joy that you, you have is what marks us out being different. We all lose loved ones. We all experience tragedies. 
We all experience aches and pains, but the world is looking that when it happens next, how do we deal with it? How do we respond? And can we be different in that sense? So, um, that's Psalm 120. Let's just look at Psalm 121. Because this is the sort of um, favourite psalm of um, many. But it's a psalm that... It's a nice ringtone. Uh, <laughs> um, Right? But you've never had a phone call ever in your life on your mobile. Wow. Well, it was so so precious to share it with you on this on this particular occasion. How lovely! Um, um, Let's look at Psalm 121. Um, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. In this particular passage, six times the word keep is used. I don't know why... Bible translators wanted to use different words to explain the same word, but they did. But it's exactly the same word, and it means to guard. So you might have preserve, you might have watch over you. But six times in this psalm, we are told that God watches over us, that God keeps us. Um, and that what it tells us that is that God will put a hedge or a guard um, around us. Um, so our Father will protect us. You know, he'll protect us and he'll care for us. Um, and it begins with a question, you know, as, move, as the pilgrims are moving towards Jerusalem, Jerusalem's quite a high place, lots of hills there. As they're looking up and they see Mount Zion, they look up and they say, um, I'm looking up to the mountains, is that where my help's going to come from? No, help doesn't come from mountains, help comes from God. You know, it's God who's going to look after us, it's him who's going to care for us. Um, and it really is that massive, um, wonderful message that it's our covenant God that's going to look after us. And when I say covenant God, that means it's the one who always does what he says. God always does what he says. When God makes a covenant, that's exactly what he does. He keeps it. You know, since the time of Noah, the world has never, ever being covered with the flood you might have felt it last winter when we went down to Apple Bridge and saw it you know but that's not the whole of the world that's just Shipley and Apple Bridge and Leeds um, but when God makes a, an agreement um, he doesn't change and the point is this that God will always be, be with us in Deuteronomy verse 31 and verse 8 it says and the Lord he is the one who goes before you he will be with you He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. And in Psalm 139, we get that wonderful reminder that, you know, where can you go? You can't, if you go to heaven, God's there. If you go down into the pits of the earth, God's there. Wherever you go, God 
is going to look after you. And what kind of God is it? Well, it's the God that made the heavens and the earth. So if you've got any doubts whatsoever that, that God can look after you, just remind yourself, it's not just any old God. It's our God who made the heavens and the earth. You know, this week we're hearing about that spaceship, whatever it was called, that crashed into the comet and the stuff that's coming back. And that's just one comet that we've actually got somewhere close to and getting some information about. And God made the heavens and the earth. He made all the galaxies. So what makes you think that he can't deal with your problems? What makes you think that he can't deal with what you're facing? Because for God to deal with your difficulties is a drop in the ocean. It is, you know, God doesn't even raise a sweat when he does these things. That's what I say. When God made the heavens and the earth, you know, he did not sweat. It was nothing to him. Somebody said recently, um, has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? You know, nothing occurs to him. He doesn't think, oh, that, oh, I hadn't thought about that. He always thinks about it. He knows it all. And he's going to look after you. Now, we have to be really careful on this. And I was interested because when I was in Nepal, I was talking to Sam. We had a, a few sort of coffee dates, Sam and I. Um, and um, we were talking about, because this is the first time that I've seen Sam in a place of danger. Because it is, you know, it's... Um, <laughs> Um, there's danger from the travel, there's danger from the fact that there's no health care out there. Um, there's danger that when he gets out into the villages, he can be arrested if he's preaching the gospel. So the, for, for the first time ever, I'm thinking, wow, he's really in a place of danger. Um, and Sam, uh, you know, Sam's really pragmatic about everything. He goes, yeah, but God, God never promised me that I wouldn't be in danger. And God never promised me that I'd live a long life. But what I think that this psalm is teaching us is that God promises you that if you ever experience any pain or any difficulty, it will never be purposeless and for no reason. You know, we see in the news, don't we? Sometimes you see, you know, an old man kicked to death in the street just for asking somebody not to kick the football there. Or... Women kicked in the stomach with babies and losing babies. All of it is totally and utterly pointless and of no value. But we are not promised a life without pain, but we are promised this. That every single pain that God allows you to go through has a purpose. Every single pain that you go through, every hardship that you go through has a purpose. There is nothing purposeless in our lives as far as God is concerned. So don't read this psalm and think to yourself, woohoo, that promises me a life without pain, a life without difficulty, a life without stresses. It does not. But what it does promise you is that when God allows something, it's always for a purpose. And so we will never be at the end of purposeless violence. We will never be at the end of, of purposeless you know, unkindness or vindictiveness or nastiness. We might be at the end of it, but not the end of purposeless stuff. Because God is in control, and if he allows something to us, um, it's because 
There's a purpose in it. And in this particular passage, we're really reassured that God is on top of things all the time. God does not sleep. He never sleeps. So when you go to sleep this evening, God doesn't sleep. God's awake. Um, There's a story in, in the past of an old lady who went to see a sultan because she had been burgled in the course of the night. So she went to see this sultan and she was asking him to replace all that she'd lost. So he said, well, how did this happen? And she said, because in the night when I was asleep, um, somebody broke in and stole everything. And the sultan said, but how was that the case? And she said, well, because I was asleep. So he said, why did you go to sleep? She said, well, I went to sleep because I thought you were awake. You know, and that's it. I went to sleep because I thought my sultan, I thought my ruler, my monarch, was awake and looking after me. But God never sleeps. Uh, he never, ever, um, he never tires. And just to sort of finish, really, I want to finish with um, a story that I um, read, and I thought it was quite a sweet story, really. It goes like this. Towards the close of the 19th century, there was a vessel, a boat carrying a number of passengers sailing from Liverpool in England to to New York, and somewhere in mid-Atlantic, the ship encountered a squall of wind that knocked the ship sideways. It was in the dead of night, and many of the passengers apparently arose and got dressed, fearing the worst, and among them was a little girl, eight years of age, the captain's daughter, and she asked upon waking and getting out of bed, what's the matter? And it was explained to her about this squall of wind that had knocked the boat sideways and caused some alarm. And she asked the question, is my father on deck? And they reassured her and said, yes, indeed your father is on deck. So she got back into bed and fell asleep again. And that's really what I want to leave with you guys. Um, Our father's on deck. He's at the helm. He's in charge. He's in control. Um, He's not going to make you a false promise that hard things might happen to you. But what he is going to promise you is, first of all, he's always on deck. He's the captain. He's at the helm. Don't forget, this is the God that created the heavens and the earth. And he will always look after you. And if you experience in this life difficulties and pain and challenges, do what Daniel did. Get up in the morning, open up your windows and remind yourself, Jerusalem's not far away. So, we're going to sing a song to finish with. I can't read it, I haven't got my glasses on. Um, And then I'll come back and we'll finish in a word of prayer. One of the things that doesn't distinguish us from non-Christians is a life of no pain and no suffering. That joins us all together as humanity. But Father, what makes us different is that when we experience pain and hardship and difficulties, Christ is with us and always with us. And for these moments we have Jesus. And so Father, we thank you that this evening we all go to sleep well tonight 
because our God never slumbers nor sleep. He's not like a night watchman who might sleep. Our night watchman, our God, never sleeps. And Father, thank you that whatever we might experience, there is nothing out of your control, there is nothing out of your your power, and you will always be with us. Father, what a wonderful promise that just as Daniel experienced when he went through the fiery furnace, you were with him. And so, Father God, I pray that you would encourage each person this evening that we want we wouldn't walk out of here with the false hope of a life without pain. We just walk out with a glorious hope that in our pain, Christ is with us. So, Father, thank you and bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen.